of semester one. Um, it is going to be a review of the book of Genesis, as that's what we covered in semester one was the book of Genesis. So we're going to do this review today. And um, in the process of doing this review, hopefully this will help the students that are going to write their paper. For those of you who are new to the school or are just auditing, um, you these, these students just went through uh, basically 10 solid weeks, 11 solid weeks of, of, of covering the book of Genesis in semester one, first century Christ, Internet, first century Christ Church International Divinity College. And now we're doing a review to help them with their paper. Um, you could plug in, you'll, you'll be blessed. I'm sure that you'll learn something and you'll be edified in the spirit. Uh, we also, I believe we may have as well, Apostle Jen on um, the chat. Uh, she'll be showing up as first century Christ Church International. Um, so um, before we start, let's let Ernest share a little if he'd like. Um, before we actually open up with a word of prayer about his, you know visions and plans for ministry in 2021. Praise God, saints. Welcome again. Uh, this is our 11th week, I believe. Um, so happy to have you guys here. Uh, just thankful that we've made it. You know, tomorrow is not promised to no man. The type of year that we've had in 2020 has been very trying. So I want to just say thank you guys for sticking it out with us all through all the technical glitches and us, as you can see, trying to birth something. And you can see, you know, like a baby when it first comes out of the womb, the struggle and it's trying to get acclimated and all that good stuff. So we thank you now. We're we're eleven eleven week old baby now. So uh we're 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 on our way. We we, we might be uh might be able to actually focus now with our eyes as and put it in uh as in, in a typological uh typological typologically speaking. So yeah guys as Apostle mentioned I am my name is Ernest Jones here. I'm in the DMV area. I am looking to uh launch out plant my ministry, uh, probably be online based to start off at first um, due to COVID and everything like that. And it just seems like people can access you uh, quickly online. And it seems like the way the remnant, uh, the remnant is moving in Christ, it seems like online seems to be the place to go. Um, and then eventually from the online, we'll move into a, a physical location. Um, so guys, I just ask that you keep me in prayer, um, saints out there. I know I might not be easy to reach at times. I try to stay heavily consecrated. Um, just just kind of, you know, trying to trying to push my way through the season, so to speak. It's 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 been a it's been a trying year for us all. So we we we've made it, made it to Christmas. We got next next week, by the time we tune in with you guys, it'll actually be New Year's. So look at that. It'll be 2021. How about that? Um so yeah, guys, you guys can contact me or reach me on Facebook. Um Ernest Jones the third. You can reach me at uh, on IG. I'm at Broken to Heal, <clears throat> B R O K E N, the number two H E A L, Broken to Heal. Um, I also have a ministry page here on Facebook. It's called John Newman. It's J O H N. Uh, Newman is spelled N three W M A N. And I'm also on Instagram as uh, at John Newman. That's J O H dot N three W M A N. Um, guys, feel free to plug in and contact me send me any questions suggestions you got for the school or any, anything like that and like once again i'm just thankful to be here thankful that you guys stuck it out and as i said on wednesday you guys we learned so much from you well, i know at least i do 
I learned so much from you guys. Um, you bring so much to the table. So I'm just blessed to be a, a part of something like this. Sorry, I muted. Yeah, I muted myself. I, I double clicked by accident. Um, Ernest is being very humble, but in reality, um, there's a very powerful anointing upon his life, a level of sincerity, uh, a level of commitment to God. And it's been a blessing to have him. We're sort of like doing this Paul Barnabas, Paul Silas thing here. And it's 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 been very exciting. And so we're going to begin the review. But before we do, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, Lord, we just ask you in the name of your son, Christ Yeshua. Lord, you know all things. You know the beginning, the end, the middle. You know all the details. You know everything at the same time, all at one time, all the time. And we can't compare to you in knowledge. We can't compare to you in wisdom. We can't compare to you in insight. And so here we are submitted to you in the divine consciousness, submitted right now to what is the points that you want to in, 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 accentuate today? What are the points that you want to be brought forth here today? What's the revelatory movement that you'd like to see take place here today? And Father, I pray that this not just be an issue of intellectual ascension where we learn a few points about the Bible, but may this be a place where we actually come into intimate contact with you, Father God. Father, I pray against every destructive force that may be trying to operate in the spirit realm. I pray against ministering spirits, my Lord, that might try to divide the body of Christ, Lord. I pray, Father God, against demonic principalities that might try to invade the minds and the consciousness of the saints as they listen here today and as they become edified in the spirit, Father God. I rebuke the spirit of entertainment, my Lord, for I find God that that is just a lot of entertainment-based ministry going on right now. Father, we, we, we didn't come here to be entertained. We came here to glorify your name. We came here to worship you in submission. We came here to submit to you in the glory. We came here to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you. We say again, thank you, Lord for what you're doing, for what you're going to do, what you've already done, Father. And we just we just want to just humble ourselves, Father, just humble ourselves. I pray against the spirit of distraction right now. In the name of Christ Yeshua, I pray against every distracting spirit right now, Father God. I pray against the spirit of presentation. I pray against any awkwardness because of the technology where people meant to 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 interact but we weren't necessarily people meant to interact over technology. And so there's a there's a lack of personal connection sometimes, Father, but there's no distance in the spirit realm. So, Father, we pray that you close the distance between us and those that might be listening. Close the distance in the spirit realm for those who might also be listening to the recording. Father God, may we say the things today that not only bless the souls that are live with us now, but maybe say the things today that will bless the souls that will watch the recording maybe later today or maybe next week or maybe next year or who knows who it will touch and who will watch it and who will receive and so father i pray that we become open vessels on the divine consciousness of the holy spirit that we become open vessels to speak what you would have us speak here today father regardless of person without respect for person but in the divine consciousness of the righteousness of your son may the holy spirit take complete control here today in yeshua's name and the body of Christ says, amen. Praise amen. the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we do have Apostle Jen on the line. 
Um, today we're doing a review covering semester one. So students, um, if you wanna watch this review and maybe take some notes, uh, we will be beginning our next class, praise the Lord, and uh, semester two will start on 1-6-2021. For those of you, I sent out this review. For those of you who are just auditing, don't sweat it. All this, all they got as an outline was every subtitle. So we know our Bible is broken down into book names, right? We're covering the book of Genesis, right? We know that the Bible is broken down into uh chapters right we have those chapters numbered and we know the bible is broken down into verses okay and we have those verses numbered but a lot of people don't pay attention to the fact that the bible is actually also broken down by subtitle now i'm not saying that the subtitle was put in by the original writers so but the chapters weren't put in by the original writers the verses weren't put in by the original writers so i just took every subtitle for the book of genesis and I just typed it out, every subtitle. And so we decided just to go through every subtitle. Today, we're going to do a review that's kind of a flow through all the subtitles. And then the next review, we might go into more specifics of each point. So Genesis is broken down into several subtitles. We're just going to read off in the beginning. We know that that's where God created the heavens and the earth. We know that in chapter two, God talks more about Adam and Eve and the actual process of their creation. You know, the fall of man was in chapter three, and then the Bible goes on to talk about Cain and Abel, and then uh, the Bible talks about from Adam to Noah. And he does that because in the season between Adam and Noah, fallen angels had come down to the earth and taken on wives. Uh, the earth had gone sour in the sense that they were all wicked all the time. The Lord had great issue with them and decided to call upon a flood. And so that's why we see that there's a from Adam to Noah lineage breakdown. And the Bible discusses the flood, God's covenant with Noah, the sons of Noah, the table of the nations, which breaks down the three sons, the Jephosite, the Je excuse me, the Japhosites, the Hamites, and the Semites. The Bible talks about next the Tower of Babel, from Shem to Abraham the call of Abraham. And then of course, there's even, there's under the call of Abraham, there's a series of subtitles relating to all the life actions of Abraham. And then of course, there's the account of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, right? And of course, we know that it then ends with the account of Joseph. And it explains how they end up in Egypt, which God had prophesied already to Abraham. But a review is not hard to get Past the first three subtitles. <laughs> Praise God, prophetess. We know, we know. But you got a couple of weeks. You got more than a couple of weeks, actually. We got almost a whole month because, right, the paper's not due until much, much later. So, again, for those of you who are auditing us, we just read through that so that you can kind of follow along. If you have your Bible, you can just pull it out and start looking through the subtitles in Genesis. Uh, some Bibles might subtitle slightly differently, but I think we're pretty close to the subtitles that you'll see for each one of these groups. And so um, when we start with Genesis, of course, the greatest weight of Genesis, in my opinion, and I'm going to let Apostle uh, Jones speak as well, but it, it, a great, a, a great a focus goes on Genesis chapter three. And the reason why is we know that in Genesis one, God creates everything and he says that it's all good, right? And then we know in Genesis chapter two, he breaks down the creation of mankind. And, and it's something very powerful that's noted in Genesis chapter two. And notice it in Genesis chapter three, up until where you get into the middle of Genesis chapter three, 
where they lose their covering. And, you know, it says that Adam and Eve were created. They were put on the earth to subdue the earth. They were given a garden to tend to. Um, they were supposed to be fruitful and become many. Uh, Adam was prophesying the names of animals. Adam was prophesying to Eve. Um, it, there seemed to be this innate holiness. So they had independent sovereignty because God told them not to. She said, I need you to choose. And so the choice is going to be between not eating this fruit or eating the fruit. Everything is yours. You can eat of all of this fruit, but of free of the knowledge and good and evil, do not even touch it. Praise God. So in the midst of that, in the midst of that, they seem to be perfectly holy with the power to choose. So they had a sovereignty, but that sovereignty was not fallen, and it was constantly overshadowed and covered by the Holy Spirit. Now, this does appear to be, and I have some, I've had some great debates with some Jehovah's Witnesses. I've had some great debates with a lot of different saints. Oh, this seems to be this hotly debated subject matter, but it is every is, is very much at the very core of everything that we need to understand even today as Christians. We were called to not know good and evil. We were called to be completely covered in the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit ministered into every single situation. And we didn't really question the Holy Spirit. We just operated off of the direction of the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve eat that fruit, all of a sudden that covering seems to be vacated from them. And now they seem to still have this independent sovereignty, but it seems to be a fallen sovereignty. And now they've got shame, they've got fear. They have these negative emotions now, these negativities in their consciousness. They're ashamed of their physical nakedness. So Genesis chapter three is at the very core of everything else in the Bible. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is very critical because this is where he prophesies to Satan. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is the beginning of the gospel prophecy. That is the beginning of messianic theology. And from that beginning, we gain all the wisdom of everything that comes after it. What I mean is, Adam and Eve were perfect, but now they're fallen. And now Cain is jealous of Abel. Jealousy wouldn't have existed in perfect holiness. These negative emotions, these negative thoughts, this diseasiness with one's individual being, apparent insecurities, all these things are product of the fall, and they're not products of what God had intended. So at the very core to me of all the subjects that could be discussed in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 is like the seed to gain the wisdom. Even if you fast forward till today, you fast forward to how we live today. We too were born in a fallen state, but then received the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but still have the presence of that fallen state ever there. Read Romans chapter 7, okay? And so we're now struggling with these rivaling passions and rivaling consciousnesses and having to then work our sovereignty into submission so that we listen to the consciousness 
of the divine nature. So when we cover all these stories, and for those of you who are writing papers, keep that as your central theme. As your central theme is, this is what God had intended. This is what man did. Then man then in fact fell from grace. These were the consequences. God has promised a deliverance, but on the way to deliverance, there's a struggle. And how we deal with that struggle determines how we're either blessed or cursed. I released to Ernest if he had any parts that he would like to share. We'll kind of go back and forth. So wise person once told me, and when I used to do my lives, I, I would say this. I, I would tell people, if you really want to know what we uh, what we were intended to do, the original thought and intent of God, go back to the Bible before man fell, before sin entered the earth. Because as Apostle stated, uh, once that happens, the Lord pivots, you know, everything that he was going to do. And so if you, we, we read the Bible, we go through and we take these, we, we go through and we go, okay, we got Paul, we got David, we got um, King Saul, we got Solomon, we got Samuel, we got, you know, the 12 apostles, uh, we got uh, John in Revelation. It's like, okay, we have these people, but what they're really trying to do is restore us and and show us what what this whole big picture is about and so that's why a lot of people respond re refer to uh, uh jesus as the second adam and people are like well where where did that come from well that came from uh god and jesus the heavenly host sitting up and watching this happen watching the fall happen and saying okay i gotta go down and redeem them um so that's really what we're all based out of that's why we're here that's what we're going to be restored to or that's what we have been restored to so there's this almost like i don't want to say a, a dark hole in history but if you're not careful there's this there's this void in 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 our history to where okay it started here and now we're here so what's in between what is all this about because it's, it's easy to read about Joshua and Caleb conquering uh, Jerusalem and Jericho and things like that. But if you, do, if you can't tie it all back together to Genesis 3.15 and what's, what's, what God is truly doing, then you're going to miss the point. And not only are you going to miss the point, your relationship with the Lord is going to be off. Because then you know if a prophet comes into your midst, if, a, if an apostle comes into your midst, if a, if a pastor comes into your midst. Oh, you say, oh, okay, I see how... They fit into Genesis 3.15. And each, even individually, we have to look at our lives. Because, you know, that's why you ever had somebody refer to you, oh, you're a Joshua or you're, you're a Joseph. Well, they're, they're putting you into the story. They're stitching you into the story. And it's funny because God has already put you into the story. He already knew what you were going to do. And a lot of times we miss the mark by not seeing ourselves in this story. One thing I always say, you want to look at the Bible as a uh, as a mirror and don't look at it through like a magnifying glass where you kind of pointing your finger down and and laughing and joking because that is all of us that that represents all of us so um genesis 315 this year alone has probably been the most that that revelation has probably been the most impactful uh in my life um since i've been in christ and you know it's crazy 
I believe if, if somehow I Googled it one day or I, I looked it up and the Messianic Jews, they, they know this. They're like, yeah, this is the beginning. This is where Christ is first mentioned in the Bible right here, Genesis 3.15. It's, it's common knowledge. And here in the Western church, not so common. Um, who, you know, what pastors are saying this, what, what preachers are preaching this, what people are coming on, you know, and what we're doing here, we're trying to give you the whole entire story. So that's why we're asking you to write a commentary. That's why we're asking you to expound upon on this paper so that you can see what we, what the Lord sees in you and you can see where you fit in and you can understand and get, get the Bible as a whole concept. When I drop that knowledge now, thanks to the, to the teachings of this college, when I say, yeah, uh, I think it was Pastor C said, yeah, Eve had her, Eve didn't know she could think independently. She didn't know she had a will outside of the father as, as a, as uh, Apostle was saying, she, 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 they were so clothed in the Holy Spirit. They were communing so much in the Holy Spirit. It was second nature. It's like breathing. Nobody has to teach you how to breathe. You just do it. You, it, it the first day, you take a breath, and for the rest of your life, you're breathing. So when they're, they're born into the clothes filled with the Holy Spirit, so even Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, could, could calm the, the waves, of, the winds of the storm. They could tell a mountain to move. There's so much they can do in the spirit, but one sin wasn't in the earth, so they didn't have to, and nobody had to. Nobody had to teach them. It was it was in in uh an innate ability. So that's where we're trying to get you to fully see. So when the Lord came down and died on the cross, what He did was He reconnected us with that spirit. So we're back now to to rebuking the waves. We're back now to telling the mountains to move. But it's crazy because that's where we were in the beginning. So we are trying to really uh, restore, and this is what the whole college is about, teaching, teaching. And it's so imperative that you get this foundation, that you understand this. And this is why we kind of put a, a, the brakes on, on after, uh, after semester one so we can really see who is getting this. And this is why we harp on this, because this is a big, this is a big thing. This is the pivot. This is, this changes the rest of the, the rest of history and mankind, this thing right here, they biting this apple, this thing. Basically the enemy has separated them from the Holy spirit, which enemy know he ain't, he ain't no match for that. So he's like, all right, if I can separate them, if I can mess up their relationship with the Holy spirit and get man in this fallen nature, I got him. And Jesus hits him with the, I mean, God hits him with the back door. Like, no, nah, I got Jesus. He'll come down and he'll pay for that. And I'll reconnect him. So this is it. So we're we're very, in my eyes, in my eyes personally, we're very fortunate to be living in a time of reconnection after the Lord has gone to the cross. Um, because we 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 were we're given the spirit um without measure, not 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 buck wild, but there's certain things we can do. Lazarus, come up from come up from out of there, come out of the tomb. It's a lot. That's why the Lord says, you know, uh, in the latter days you will do more. That that that's that's why. And and the moment you can see that, I feel like y'all gonna take off in the spirit. I feel like <laughs> some of y'all gonna be like, hey man, hey thanks guys, thanks. That's all I need. I'm gone. I'll see you. And then that's fine. And I understand that. And we encourage that because this is what was supposed to be happening. This is what Paul was talking about. This is what they were preaching. So. I'm sorry, I, don't know, I might have went on a little too long, but yeah. So that's that's where um, that's where we are, and that's why Genesis three fifteen is so important to understand 
the original intent and how that got misconstrued and how the Lord is bringing us back, reconciliation, redemption, back to the original intent. Praise the Lord. No, you didn't go on too long. It's praise God. Uh, you know, we, we need to um, we need to just allow God to continue to flow that that unity, that fellowship of the believers, that communing in the spirit and a like minded consciousness is a very powerful piece with the Lord. As far as the proper movement of the Holy Spirit, what we like to tell the students of the school is if the only thing you learn here is the proper movement of the Holy Spirit, you'll have accomplished so much that it'll it'll do so much for your discipleship for the rest of your existence. And I think that's what you were you were sharing is coming to a grasp of the proper understanding of the proper movement of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to contend with a lot of you out there in uh, digital land who would be watching this either live or in a recording that um, the Western church has done a very poor job of teaching the proper movement of the Holy Spirit. And some, some of you are familiar with um, my story from the uh, uh, Asian evangelist. There was an evangelist that came from China and um, when the evangelist came from China, they expected that he would be impressed with Western Christianity because, of course, they're experiencing persecution in China. And um, when the evangelist was uh, when the uh, Chinese evangelist was leaving, they asked. They said, "Well, tell us what you think of Western Christianity." He said, "It's amazing how much you've been able to accomplish without the Holy Spirit." And the the reality is that that's so true. We're so much into the scheming and plotting and planning. But how much of it is the praying and the brokenness and the fasting and the prayer and the submission? And so when, when you come in contact with this anointing um, to understand the prophecy and to understand the fall of man, I mean, it's very hard to hit a target or to even know if you're successfully getting to a target if you don't understand the target. So um, man walked in perfect covering on the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. Though he had an independent sovereignty, he was completely submitted under God's sovereignty. And the Holy Spirit ministered to him into every one of his situations. And then man fell from grace. So in falling from grace, he still kept his sovereignty, but he lost the covering counsel of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has done different measures of counseling over the years. But the full covering counsel did not return until Pentecost 33 CE. When that full covering council returned, there was still another problem. We were still aware of a consciousness apart from God. And since we were still aware of a consciousness apart from God, we still had that sinful nature that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. is a saying in the Christian realm that the day you get Romans, God gets you. And the saying is said that way because most people struggle with the proper understanding of sanctification. So without understanding the true nature of sanctification, which is basically discipleship, and the true nature of our nature under God, and I'm going to say it again, the true nature of our nature under God, because we don't have a complete grasp of what it is to have a nature under God. And so uh, this grasping of this anointing, this grasping of this foundational teaching is critical for your understanding of the rest of the word. Because you can't understand Cain and Abel completely until you understand that man was never designed, designed to know good and evil. So it was only inevitable that some of these negative adolescent emotions would start to run wild and people would have unchecked emotions, unchecked. And how many of us struggle with unchecked emotional status, unchecked uh, uh 
open doors, as we like to say in the deliverance world, where we can't control. We got impulse control in certain areas of our life. Amen. And so we, we, we see that Cain and Abel had this impulse control. Uh, we see that all of mankind fell into a dilapidated state. But then there's that promise. So God calls Noah. And then we know that the flood came. And I know some of you are listening to this and I know you're saying, you know, Apostle, we've been covering this for like 11 weeks. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. But it's really not the same thing. When you sit down and you meditate on it and meditate on who do you think you are in God and realize that whoever you think you are, you're not completely there yet. Paul says that when we get to God, we won't even completely have a knowledge I mean, he said, before we get to God, we won't have a completely a complete knowledge of who we will be when we don't fully know yet. We are fully known by God. So the Holy Spirit is always ministering to us in different situations. And we can see that happening through all these different characters here. And there's layers and layers and layers and layers of wisdom that needs to be brought into this layers and layers and layers and layers of wisdom we we covered the whole situation with uh, Noah and his sons and coming out of the ark and immediately he gets disrespected by Ham and he curses Canaan and he starts to lay out the foundation for where the prophetic fulfillment would take place. And we find that it's going to take place through the Semites, right? Because of the prophecy that Noah. So we can see Genesis 3.15 is this broad prophecy that keeps getting narrowed down more and more and more and more and more. As time goes on, you start to see. So we know it's not going to be um, of the children of Japheth. We know it's not going to be of the children of Ham. We know that it's going to come out of the children of Shem, the Semites. Praise the Lord. And so we then see a section here where it starts covering from Shem to uh, I'm sorry, from Shem to Abram, which we know ultimately to become Abraham, praise the Lord. And Abraham uh, basically is being pulled away from his family, sent to a promised land. God's going to separate them and put them in a special relationship with him and so that they can play their fulfilling role, praise God. And in fulfillment, uh, Abraham struggles. He struggles in his faith. He struggles in his commitment. I mean, we've got a lot of, I think a lot of people are struggling with authenticity in the body of Christ. I'm going to digress for a moment because it's critical to this piece as we're covering it here. I love that when we were covering this and we were going, everybody was developing their own mindset about what possibly could have been going on through Abraham's mind and whether Abraham was meant to do this or whether he was meant to do that or was he in obedience over here, but disobedience over here. And some of it we'll just have to wait to ask Jesus because, you know, the word only tells you but so much. The word tells you what happened, but it doesn't tell you everything that happened. And in every case, it doesn't tell you his emotional status. And we speculated on this. And I loved it because it allowed us to start to embrace the reality of the situation. Abraham was righteous in his generation because God had called him to a call, but he was no Adam before Genesis chapter three. See, I'm saying the only Adam, as you brought out, was the second Adam, Jesus, who came as a perfect man. And of course, we know he was greater than Adam, but they refer to him as the second Adam from the standpoint of the sacrificial offering that he had to give for the spilt blood that Adam spilt of his own. He spilt purity of his blood, and Christ came in purity of the blood to die, to balance the scales. But Abraham was no Adam. Noah was no Adam. Shem was no Adam. Nobody was like Adam till Jesus. 
And and so, you know, we, we, we find in Christian realm, there's a lot of religion. And so we, we, we want to glorify the circumstances instead of really embracing the emotional truths of the circumstance. Abraham struggled. He struggled with the famine. Doesn't say he went to God and said, you told me to come to this land. I'm in this land and now there's a famine. And so what I'm supposed to do? You told me to come here. I'm here. And now there's a famine. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to do? It says he went to Egypt. Now, some people speculate God intended him to go to Egypt. I contend, no, he struggled. I'm here. I'm dealing with the day-to-day. -day. I know God kind of called me to this place, but there's a problem. I'm going to take action. How many of us have that going on in our life where there are problems and we take action? Right? And then we realize, oops, what? I didn't operate with enough faith. I should have asked God. I shouldn't have took action. Maybe I should have waited. But at any rate, Abraham goes to Egypt, find him coming back out of Egypt, going right back where he came from, right back to the same place in Canaan. So we can see his, his struggle with Lot, okay? Uh, and we can see how Lot was a lot more concerned about his overall well-being in the natural instead of paying attention to staying attached to the promise because the promise was being fulfilled through Abraham, caused a lot, a lot of problems. You know, and uh, what I loved about the covering of these sections, and I'm going to release it to you, Ernest, to share your part here too, is that everything that triggers what I do in the ministry of God is linked to these scriptures that Christ said. He said, do everything you can to enter through the narrow gate, for some will be attempting to do some, but they will not succeed. If your right eye offend thee, gouge it out. Better that you went to the kingdom of God with one eye. If your arm offend thee, cut it off. Better you enter the kingdom of God with one arm. Now, I take that approach to scripture. If I know there's a promise and the only person that makes it out of this promise is this seed, this promised seed, put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So the only thing that appears to come out of this seed, okay, is one heir, Christ. And the only way we're attached to that is because we're the church married to the married to Christ and the two become one flesh. So inside that unity, okay, is the only way we have an anointing. It's the only way we have deliverance. It's the only way that we have hope. Then I'm going to latch on to that promise. So I'm reading everything I'm reading. I'm reading, did they stay connected? Did they not stay connected? What were the consequences? Did they stay connected? Did they not stay connected? What were the consequences? What was the shrewdish move here? What was the most prudent move here? What was the most submitted move here? Because if my right eye offend me, I'm going to gouge it out. And if my left arm offend me, I'm going to cut it off. See, I'm not going to play with this here because I get one really good life shot at this. So all these scriptures were given to us that we might learn in the spirit. Hebrews chapter three, if anybody wants to take some time, not, not here and now, I'm just saying, put it in your notes there to reread Hebrews chapter three. Everything has been documented so that we could learn. Now, what we're learning is not information. What we're learning is salvation. If you learn the information, but you don't learn the salvation, you failed, even though in some area you gained knowledge. I'd like to give this analogy and then I'll surrender it over to, to Ernest to share his part on this segment. Um, 
there's a story about a ship that was sinking and blew up and it was wood in the water. And there was one guy, he's holding on to a piece of wood. He's actually one of the seamen. He knows all the ships. He knows their size, their speed, their ability. Another one is a passenger. He knows absolutely nothing about ships. So the one who knows about ships is holding on to some more, holding on to one of the wooden beams in the ocean there. It's cold. He looks way down and he says, I see a ship. I can tell by its stacks that it has this, it's this type of ship and, and the area of the water it's in, it's probably XYZ ship. And he names the ship. But he thinks to himself, that's too far to swim. I just hope it comes closer. The other one knows absolutely nothing about ships. But he sees a ship in the distance and he applies himself and starts swimming to that ship. Which one lived? Which one died? The one who knew nothing about ships gets to the other ship, gets on board and lives. And the other one who knew everything about ships drowns. So one of the beautiful things I like about this is the embracing of the stories. We keep hearing about tragedy after tragedy and circumstance that from Cain and Abel to Adam, from, from, from Adam to Noah and the need for a flood, from Noah coming out of the ark and immediately having problems with one of his sons to um, the Tower of Babel, man forgetting about the plan of God and trying to congregate together from Shem to Abraham and people were not properly looking for the Lord. God calls off Abram. Nobody's even really paying attention. Then Lot's right there with him and still also doesn't get it. He's concerned about his flocks and his herds and he's concerned about why not stay attached to the anointing? Why not stay as close as you can to the anointing? This is the lesson I believe God wants us to get from all of this. From all of this, God wants to get that wisdom. Why not stay as close as you possibly can to the anointing? That nothing offend thee and you miss the mark. I'm going to release it to um, Apostle Ernest if you'd like to speak. Amen. So we start to see a pattern here. Like you said, Noah. Uh, so we see Adam, Adam in the fall. We see Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain kills Abel and so then basically it's so funny because you don't really hear from Adam for, for a while you don't I don't think you hear from him after that at all um, so you imagine what type of fallen state he was in so now the Bible moves on and you see you see Noah and as you said Noah was called righteous in his time and because Noah was obedient uh, the, the individuals in his immediate family were actually saved saved from the flood so you had that that situation take place then boom you have some obviously we see noah dealing with um the lord destroying the world um he was you know de dealing with some things heavily separated from a lot of people and you know you imagine coming out of a boat scene which you just saw um you'd be a little you're a little messed up and so then you have his uh, descendants obviously uh shim is is you know the quote-unquote i don't say chosen one but shim is the one that that is going to go forth and um, who's going to go forth and Abraham, we believe, meets him later on being a dad of Melchizedek. So what we see is a togetherness. You know, Adam and Eve had each other. We see Noah had um, his family. 
and then we actually see the Tower of Babel, which a lot of people, well, not, this is true. This was the first one world government that they were trying to do. Everybody's talking about it now, but this was in fact the first one world gov government. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. So just get, get ready for that. And then we see in a situation where Abraham, where he is called out, because usually your family was separated. But now you're actually being separated from your family. So he is called out of his father's house. And we see him struggle with that because we see him go back and grab Lot, in which Apostle says, we don't know if that was right. We don't know if that was wrong. He chose to do it. God honored it, obviously, because Lot was being blessed. And when it's time to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham quickly uh, intervenes for Lot um, and, and actually gets saves Lot out of there. So then, so what I'm trying to show you is that you can see the Lord starting to change, okay? You're a family, family, okay? Now you're being called out of your family to create another family. So we got this remnant inside of a remnant almost. And now I'm going to use you to um, populate the earth. You're going to be Father Abraham um, as we as we go further. And then not only that, so now we're called out. I'm trying to remember how far you got down. So now, now you're called out, and now we see Abraham start to struggle, as the apostle said, with this um, going to Egypt. I know I'm called to do this. And what we see for the second time, Noah spent 120 years making the ark. Abraham spent 100 years before he had the legitimate son. And we see him trying to rush. And as you see, was he supposed to go to Egypt? Was he not supposed to go to Egypt? Uh, we know uh, Ishmael was not supposed to be of him, but he did it anyway. And the Lord said, fine, I'll reconcile that. So now what we're really seeing in the Bible is man make his own decisions apart from the Lord, outside of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, outside of relationship, you see man really start to get antsy. Like, okay, I know you told me this, but it, don't, it doesn't look like that, so I'm going to do this. Um, I know you, you told me to go here or not go here, but I'm going to go here anyway because they got the food and so we have a famine in our land and I'm I'm hungry. So it just made, it makes sense. It just made, to me, it makes sense. They, they have food. I, I'm going to just go down. I'm just, I can just walk. It's a day's walk. I can get some food, bring some back. You know, we'll be fine. So now we're starting to see He's really showing you, the Lord really showed you in Genesis 3.15, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are much higher. And now we really see, you see him destroy the Tower of Babel. Let us go down and see what they've done. He already knew what they did. Let us go down and see what they've done. And now you're saying, I told you not to do this. And I'm doing this for a reason. There is a certain level of consecration I need from you and Sarah. And you're not doing that. Now you have gone into Hagar, and now you have created this other guy who is now a donkey. Who's out? He's out in the wilderness. And because I've, I've given you this blessing, I have to honor that to a certain extent on him. Now I got to wait for you, wait to get the rest of this out of you. And what I really want um, the students to see is that these don't despise these waiting periods, don't despise these prunings, because. Somebody, I think Apostle said this the other day, 
Man, we can't even wait six minutes. You imagine building an ark for 120 years. And you he's telling you something's going to happen that's never happened. You imagine even Sarah laughed when the Lord said, you, by this time next year, you will have a child. She laughed. Literally, haha. That shows you the amount of faith. So when the Lord is talking in Genesis 3.15, you imagine as man hearing that and reading that, faith had to be like, I mean, really small. Because how's this going to happen? This, this is crazy. You know, it's just us here. And he's showing you as we go through, he's building, 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 building. And it gets to the point where we get to Hebrews. It's like, yeah, those are the all-stars of faith. Those guys, if you, you want to get on the, uh, you want to make the team, you got to do what they did. And it's like, wow. But while we're looking at it, as it's happening, in the beginning, as we're looking at it from their life, they have no idea how it's going to happen. And you can see at the end, at the end of all their lives, it, it kind of like clicks where Abraham is like, let me go find a wife for Isaac so he don't mess this up. And then uh, Isaac gets a wife and then his wife, Rebecca, you know, well, let me let me let me send let me send Jacob away. Um um, yeah, let me send Jacob away because he 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 can't, he can't mess with these women. And then Jacob at the end, and I'm sorry, now I'm going real real far. But Jacob at the end, you know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, homeboy, you slept with my um, you slept with my concubine. Yeah, that's that's not gonna work out for you. And and you can see at the end, it's almost like at the very very end, this light switch. Oh yeah, this is it. Let me set these things in motion. Let me do this. Let me do this so I can pass the baton. And that's what we're seeing here. From three, Genesis 3.15 to now, you see, passing the baton, passing the baton, passing the baton. So you had Adam, whether he wanted to or not, he passed the baton to Noah. <laughs> Noah passed the baton to, to Shem. Shem passed the baton to Abraham. Abraham passed the baton to Isaac. And that's what it keeps going. Keep passing the baton. Keep passing the baton. And the, the difference between them now and us, us currently is they knew. I have to pass the baton because this person needs to be prepared and equipped. Now, I feel like we, we because we don't know 315 and we don't understand and the light bulb doesn't click, we hold on to the baton. Oh, no, you're not, you're not getting this. Unfortunately, and I feel like and sometimes we actually, we think we do to a certain extent, die with the baton, which makes no sense because we know we've already seen the end. We know how it happens. God is already at the end. So at the, at the end, God is going to get the baton again. So it's it's not like <laughs> he's not like he's not gonna dig dig in your grave. Give me this. So we, and I think that's what that's what's happening um, in society in the church in our understanding is that we 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 don't understand the passing the baton, and that's where you have the issues with fellowships. That's where you have the issues with people fitting in, and that's even where you know some people had the issue with this school. Well, why are you doing this? So why is this free? Well, this this is why because this is a knowledge that's been meant. Um, you talk to a lot of pastors, they tell you Bible literacy is at an all-time low. And I'm not trying to be funny. With all the technology, it kind of doesn't make sense. We we have access to way more than what they had. They didn't have a Bible. They really didn't have anything really written down until the tablets. So, and that's an exodus. So, you know, they're going off of stories and, 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 and knowledge that's been passed down. So, yeah, there's no way we have access to so many different versions, so many different teachings, 
and especially think about all the people that have been filled with the Holy Spirit since this man there's so much um wisdom and revelation. So yeah, we should be we should be rolling, but unfortunately, unfortunately not. So that's what I want you to see through that. Did you see there's there's a baton passing that's happening? And it's he just he just keeps taking a remnant, taking a remnant, each section, take a remnant, take a remnant, take a remnant, take a remnant. So we got set apart, more set apart, more set apart, more set apart. So <clears throat> that really that concludes my uh <laughs> train minister said it's so juicy. That concludes my um my my depiction. Praise the Lord. And <clears throat> this is the key, saints, in the review. And we're we're also trying to minister also, of course, to the saints that are plugging in that not might not necessarily be part of the school and people who might view this who are not part of the school. So just bear with us, uh, students, and bear with us guests, okay, so that we can help in the fellowship of all the souls that might come in contact with what we're learning here today. But what's really key with everything that we're learning is that these men were flawed. This is Apostle Janet put this in the comments. These men were flawed. They were powerful men of God, patriarchs, pillars, but they were flawed and God had to consecrate them. We today are flawed and God has to consecrate us. We today have our trips to Egypt out of, out of assignment. We today may have our lot circumstances. We today may have our wilderness experiences. We today have our in Egypt multiplying experiences. We today have our out of Egypt experiences. Yeah. We today have consecrating experiences that we have to go to. And we don't know for sure if Abraham knew about Genesis 3.15. Remember, Moses wrote the first five books of Moses, okay? He wrote them. We know that there was a lot of oral tradition. We don't know that Abraham had all of that oral tradition. There's some speculation that he may have, that he had some interaction with Shem, and that there was some of the teaching being passed on to him. But we do have the Im uh, the information about enmity between, I put enmity between you and the woman and between the seed of the woman and between the seed of the devil, of the serpent. And so we know that there's this constant chasm. And so Abraham gets called out to be part of this chasm, but he seems to struggle with the understanding of it. Isaac seems to struggle with the understanding of it. Jacob seems to struggle with the understanding of it. Joseph seems to struggle with the understanding of it, right? But God still is writing the, writing the ship. The ship is drifting, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, he's writing the ship. And so too today, but we have the covering of the Holy Spirit today. We're warring with our sinful nature that's forgetful, but are we conscious ourselves not to be forgetful? Are we conscious enough, saints, not to be forgetful of the need for the enmity, for the need to be part of the bride, for the need to stand up in the course of the commitment of where God is taking us in the divine consciousness of God? 
are we sometimes getting caught up in petty little arguments over wells and grazing rights and losing our focus over minor things instead of maintaining our focus on the primary objective, which is to fulfill the building of our father's kingdom, which Satan himself tried to tear down. So saints, when we're reading these segments, and for those of you writing papers, and for those of you who are just fellowshipping with us here, these stories are monumental teaching tools on the walk of your divine calling, because you're also in a divine calling. And are you acting like the sons of Jacob, or are you acting like Joseph? Are you carrying yourself like Abraham, or are you carrying yourself like Lot? Or are you carrying yourself like Jacob, or are you carrying yourself like Esau? Where do you fit in as a Bible character in your walk of fulfillment of God's prophetic destiny for your soul? See, because what's happening here is God is calling you, that's right, you, all of you who hear this, don't you hear this? The Bible says, God sets a time and a place that you might hear, the time and a place in which you might see, so that you might seek him, find him. So if you're here, God is calling you at this moment to say, I'm asking you to leave. I'm talking in a prophetic symbolism. Leave your father's house in the natural, in the figurative, the world. Leave your father's house and go to this place for which I have commanded you, and there I will make of you a great nation. As an apostle to the 21st century church, trying to guide them back to first century Christianity, one of the biggest struggles that I've had is getting people past the concept that naming and claiming is false, which a lot of people are ready to accept that. But they're at the same time not ready to accept the glory. That's what I mean. You've got the prosperity people that believe they can name it and claim it, and they're doing that in some superficial nonsense. And then you have the humble saint who's too insecure to accept that God is ready to make a great nation out of you. Not for your namesake, nor not for your glory, but for his namesake and for his glory. So what we're amassing through this is these stories, lessons in leadership, lessons in prophetic, lessons in the walk of a patriarch, lessons in the walk of a truly called anointed person. How about being in the shoes of Abraham today, not thinking back yesterday? How about being in the shoes of Isaac today because it's available to you? How about being in the shoes of Jacob Today, how about being in the shoes of Joseph today? Today, not back then, today. How about being the source of a great ministry today? You, He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I need you to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. How about the greatness that God has intended to create in you today. But where are you in the story? Remember, everything that's in the Bible is like a narrative. How many of you know that in heaven, this exact same narrative status is being written about you? 
the very same narrative status. So when you read, and there was a famine in the land, and it was a great famine. And so Abraham went down to Egypt. How many of you know? And Kevin was in his house, and God called him and said, I need you to plant this school. But Kevin thought to himself, who am I to plant a school? I don't know anything about planting schools. And so Kevin didn't obey God. The same narrative that's being written in the Bible today is in heaven being written about you right now. How does it read? Does it read like Joseph? Does it read like Jacob? Does it read like Isaac? Does it read like, come on now? Or does it read like Esau? Or does it read like, come on now? The same narrating story that we're reading about these men now are being written about us in heaven today. And one day it will be read back to you. And see, this is the thing that we need to get from this. Because when I read the story, I think, okay, so I could see how I could have thought like that. Yeah, man, I'd have made that same mistake, man. Oh, shoot. You see what happened to that guy making that mistake? Man, I better not make that, that mistake. I need to duck that one. Thank God I read this here before I had to run into something like that. And so, saints, we as the children of God need to embrace these stories. Because, right, we get to Joseph, and like Tabina likes to say, it get kind of juicy, right, when it gets to Joseph. They throwing him in cisterns, and they, 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 they're trying to kill him, but then they want to sell him off into slavery. And then he, he, he ends up in Potiphar's house, but then he gets... You know, the wife wants to sleep with him. How many of us, I'm talking, well, women, you have to think about a man. Men, you have to think about a woman. But at any rate, how many of us would have just slept with part of us? Like, look, man, look, man, I just got thrown a cistern. <laughs> I got tried. Never mind that dream. How many of us did sleep with part of his wife? I'm talking symbolically now. We're not even necessarily talking about sex. We're saying, how many of us have been put in a situation where God gave us a divine calling in our life and we know that we're called to do a great thing? But we got a bunch of haters that's trying to shut down God's plan for our life. So our life gets kind of derailed. And then we get into a I don't care no more attitude because then when we get in a test of situation, instead of standing up for the righteousness of God, we go, you know, whatever, man. You know what? Forget it. This man, he was he's an Egyptian anyway. I'm the promised one. Man, I sleep with his wife. No problem. What? She wants to sleep with me. What? It's not my fault. How many of us? could do what Joseph did. These are the things that you're writing about. These are the things you're thinking about. These are the things you're experiencing. And then because of Joseph's ultimate obedience, remember, it's not how you start. It's not how you start. It's not how you play. It's how you finish. I like it in the sports. Back in the old days, the Giants were some of the most ugliest winners that could ever win in a football game. They'd score 14 points in the first half, and they'd spend the whole second half playing it, playing it safe to make sure the other team didn't get 14 points. They'd win the game 14-13. <laughs> they went to the Super Bowl. They won. It wasn't how they started. It wasn't even how they played. It was always how they finished. 
winning games 7 nothing, 7 3, 14 9, 14 13. I'm like, oh my God. I remember, I remember watching that whole season of football with the Giants and going, you know, you guys are winning and it's great, but this is the ugliest football I've ever seen in my life. Score seven points and then try to have the defense hold the other team down for three quarters. <laughs> what boring games. Don't want to throw the ball because you got a little bit of a lead. Want to run everything up the middle. Sometimes you got lucky. Sometimes you didn't. But counting on your defense to shut them down. It was the ugliest way to win. But it's not how you start the game. It's not how you play the game. It's how you finish the game. And let's look at Joseph. He finished the game well. And so as a result, God was effectively able to use him. He got his people into the promised land. And now with his people in the promised land. Excuse me, not the promised land. He got his people into Egypt. Now it is the people into Egypt. It's time to multiply and become a great nation. And so next semester we're going to cover. Next semester we're going to cover uh, Exodus and some other books as well. But Exodus will be the principal book that we're in um, for for a good part of the second semester. And so a lot of this foundational ministry movement is in these early books of the Torah. And through these early books of the Torah, we gain this incredible wisdom about the nature of God, about the faithfulness of God, and the struggle of men. You see? And then we're learning so that we're more mature. One of the most powerful things I felt Apostle Ernest was saying is he said, listen, there was this little tiny faith like this. But look at God working on them, working on them working on them, each generation, not just the man, individual men, but each generation. And then not just each generation, but the whole nation. And then not just the whole nation, but even us as Christians. God's doing things on a bunch of different levels at the same time to mature us back to a place that we inherently knew in the garden. Praise the Lord. And so um, um, I'll open it up if, if Ernest says anything else he wants to share about um, what we're covering here in Genesis. Uh, praise God. Uh, not not really too much. Um, I think uh, up until this point, we we have uh, covered, covered everything. I, I can see the comments starting to change. So I, I think it's, you know, it's starting to to click in um, and they're starting to understand, which is good. And like we said at the beginning, uh, this is something that we've been covering for uh, all semester and we're really trying to get this uh, this grounded. And, and, and this, is base, this is the basis. This is the basis uh, or the base. So off of this, you can build. Off of this, you can truly build and uh, I know sometimes in our walk, it takes a le certain level of unlearning. And that's all of us. And same here with me. I I'm doing a, a tremendous amount of unlearning um, and even shaping the way the Lord wants us to look at the Bible. Okay. You know, um, yeah, I want you to start. Jason said, you know, in, in the beginning, like John, the Gospels, most people start in the Gospels, but the Gospels point you back to the beginning. So you know how are we going to learn about this man this word that was on this cross and this word has so many words to us along the way that we skip over um very quickly the lord was showing me he was saying um you know how many of us have been to marriage counseling or how many of, of us have been to counseling period 
Um, I know I'm one. And it's saying, basically the Lord was saying, this is a marriage. So if this is a marriage, when you go to marriage counseling and you have, say, say you know, you might have closed the door too hard and, and, and the wife gets mad at you. And so she's, you're in counseling and talking about this door being closed hard. And you got to find out that the last time she saw her father was when he slammed the door back in 87 and he ain't been back since. So you're like, well, I didn't even slam the door. The wind got the door and took the door hard. I tried to explain that to her, but she can't get past that. So you think it's a problem that just started right there with the wind. You think, okay, maybe I got to close some windows. Maybe I got to be real gentle. And actually it's a problem from 87. So it's the same thing in the Bible. If you start at one place halfway through and it's like, okay, well, where are all these issues coming from? Well, these issues come from the beginning. So just like in marriage counseling, okay, well, let's go back to the beginning with the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to the beginning and let's understand what is going on. And then we can go through and then we can kind of see um, uh, what's going on. Um, when, and I just like to pick up patterns. One of the patterns we see, you never see Adam in the wilderness when he has the Holy Spirit. Doesn't happen. We don't hear from Adam too much after the fall. So I have to assume, okay, he's probably in some broken state, probably because he know he, I believe he knew, not to the full extent, but I believe he knew he had really messed up. And it's so crazy because when Jesus comes, Jesus starts his, before he starts his ministry, it's mandated that he go to the wilderness. And a lot of us don't understand that, that issue or that walk in our life, but that's where that comes from because we're in a falling state and the Lord was trying to show us the people in Egypt coming out of Egypt into the wilderness, going into the promised land. And that's supposed to be us. But not only did they have to come out of Egypt, Egypt had to come out of them. So that's that's really all I um all I have to say uh so far covering this subject. Um if you guys really like look for patterns and, and things and see what how what the Lord is doing, because I always say it's imperative that you know the season for who you're called to be in your in your life um in your walk because that way you'll know how you fit in and that way you'll really know truly where you're going and you'll know what season you're in and you'll know how to shift when things happen and you'll know where to go and what to do and what to be looking for so yeah that's all i have to share on on this this part praise the lord and so this is going to end our first week review of Genesis, and we will be coming back again um, up until class restarts. We will continue to do these reviews. Um, we'll cover different segments. Every time you pass through it, there's a different point to cover. Um, I want to just say some things to you, saints. Um, uh, it's been brought to my attention that um, there was some concern about the length because with people having families and children and different things that the, the, the classes are very long and, and I'm okay with, with the flow. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't mind it, but out of respect for people who do have time constraints, um, we're going to try to minimize the uh, presentation portions to, you know, an hour and a half to two hours maximum. Um, and then what it will do is that at the end of that portion, will then also allow for those who have to depart to depart and those who want to continue on in a fellowshipping context 
to continue on in the fellowshipping context. So I'm going to say that we're wrapping up Genesis that I think we went a little over an hour. So we'd even go an hour and a half today. Um, we're going to do another review at our next meeting, which will be a Zoom on Wednesday. And then we'll be back on Live again on the following Sunday. We're going to try to keep all the sessions to an hour and a half to two hours maximum. Um, that doesn't mean we have to go all of that time if if we can't go, if, if, if we don't need to go all that time. And then we'll open up for something more um, dynamic because I know everybody wants fellowshipping in different contexts. So we can, I'm okay with that flow, but let's make sure that the students are able to plug in for the, what they need to plug in for those pieces and then pull out when they feel they need to pull out. So I'm going to close in prayer, but we're not going to depart. We're going to deal with some of these comments in the comment section, and we're going to fellowship a little bit here to give the saints that want that additional fellowshipping time and those who need to depart, then they will be able to do so. So let's just close out in prayer. Father Lord, we just ask you that you bless every soul that was here. Hopefully we covered that, what you wanted us to cover that we did, what you wanted us to do. And Father, we pray for your direction and your insight and your power and your understanding, Lord, as we press forward to do greater things in you because we know that's what you called us to do. You've called us to grow in you and to be a manifestation of your glory. So for those who would be departing from us right now, my God, may we, may they, though they depart in the natural, may we not depart in the spiritual, but when we stay one and in the consciousness of Christ. And for those of us that are continuing on to ask questions or to comment or interact in any way, we pray, Father God, that you bless them as well and that you strengthen them and that you give them the words that they need to share, whether to be enriched or to ask questions or to receive. Father, we want to do everything in an orderly fashion, for we know that you are a God of order. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen and amen. So that's going to end the official portion. But now if... Uh, if anybody, I noticed we had a lot of comments in the comment section, um, and I'm just going to open it up right now. Um, if there's anybody that has any questions that they needed answered, um, we do see the comments here. We're actually on another platform, but we get the Facebook comments to this platform that we're on. So if anybody has um, uh, anything that... Um, <laughs> evangelist Hedy Dumas says I don't want to go it's so good I don't want to leave until the final amen praise God praise the Lord amen hallelujah does anybody have any questions I noticed we had some really powerful comments in there so if you have a question go ahead and put it there but there was a comment put there that I want to go back to it was one put by Jason Jason's a very anointed man of God he has a lot of wisdom in the Lord um, and I also want to share about something, saints, also, is that I, it was also brought to my attention that, you know, by affirming or asserting certain souls that certain other souls feel discouraged or they feel less than. Listen, we've got to grow. Like I said, if there's one thing you learn here is the proper movement of the Holy Spirit, then you'll have learned everything you need to learn to grow. Everything is everybody's. Jason's anointing is my anointing. Why? Because I fellowship with him. And as he shares with his anointing, I receive from his anointing. Apostle Ernest's anointing is my anointing. Whatever his gift and glory is in God, I receive it too. We are one body, one Christ with many parts. The arm doesn't say to the hand because you're not an arm, you're of no value. And the eye doesn't say to the leg because you're not an eye, you're of no value. Okay. So if I affirm Jason Hansen, we should all rejoice it. The, the counter of affirming a soul shouldn't be another soul feeling less than because that's an insecurity 
And I can't help you with that because if you have an insecurity, if I feed the insecurity by coddling the insecurity, I only affirm your right to be insecure. And what I want to do is take away your right to be insecure so that by no longer believing you have a right to be insecure, you're able to stand. Amen. But Jason put this up. I thought it was a very powerful scripture. It was very apropos. He says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the ask for the old paths where the where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And, you know, I want to put this out to you, saints. The reason why they will not walk in it is because the lie that Satan brought forth is the dominating consciousness of the sinful nature. I want a will of my own, not supervised by the Holy Spirit. The sinful nature will not please God. It cannot please God. And it is impossible for it to walk in agreement with God. I want you to see this in a very pure sense. If you speak in the divine consciousness and somebody else is in the flesh, you and them will never, ever walk in agreement. Because this scripture is a prophetic typology of the very nature of the sinful nature and the divine nature. You're a soul with a sinful nature and a divine nature. You have two natures, okay? Second Peter chapter one, okay? And then read Romans seven. So you read second Peter chapter one, it talks about the divine nature, okay? You read um, um, uh, Romans chapter seven, you're gonna hear about the sinful nature. But then there's you, the sovereignty, your self-awareness which has the power to discern between the divine nature and the sinful nature. You ever see the movie where they have the angel on one hand, on one shoulder, and the devil's on the other shoulder? That concept is sort of the anatomy of your discipleship. So the anatomy of your discipleship is the power to choose. What you have to understand is that the sinful nature will always answer this way. This divine nature is saying, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths, where the good way is. Walk in it. The divine nature will always say that. The divine nature will never say anything else. And the sinful nature will always respond this way. We will not walk in it. This is why you have conflictual spirituality. Your conflictual spirituality is the two waters that your mind is constantly struggling with, the sinful nature and the spirit nature. This is why Genesis 3.15 is so powerful, because we have a lot of people that are willing to walk in Christ to an extent, but there's certain things they're not willing to surrender. We like to sometimes refer to it as their Isaacs. We say, well, what's their Isaacs? Ah, but when you study in the school and you study that Isaac was almost laid down as a sacrifice by Abraham because God was testing that the thing he loved the most that he would not separate from God and covet to himself 
Now I know you will obey me, the Lord said to Abraham, because you were willing to sacrifice your son. And I know now you will not hold anything from me. For God had searched his heart and saw that the number one passion in his life was this son, Isaac. And he's like, now I'm going to tell you to sacrifice him. But you know, it's never been in the heart of God to sacrifice children to him. So um, this whole circumstance, this whole situation creates this atmosphere where God is revealing to Abraham, you have admitted not to hold anything from me. But we, born again, struggle with holding things away from God. And we come into this place where Christianity becomes a series of behaviors, religion, a series of do's and don'ts, legalism, and we become superficial Christians, never coming into the real consciousness that there's this real rivalry going on inside our mortal members, a serious rivalry going on inside our mortal members, where there's one part of us saying, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. And there's other part of us that's talking too. And it says, we will not walk in it. And there we are struggling in our natural consciousness saying, but I want to walk in it, but I'm struggling to walk in it, but I want to walk in it, but I can't walk in it. I wish I could walk in it. I want to walk in it. And we're, and we're vacillating. That's Romans 7. Paul breaking down the battle against sin. And he says he doesn't win it, but he says he doesn't win it because he can't win it. To win it, he has to cry out, who will save me from this body of death? Glory be to Christ, Yeshua. So the criticality of understanding Genesis 3.15 emanates from the revelation that we are not fully submitted yet in the full consciousness of God because we have a rivaling nature that still is with us though we be born again. And these great men of God did not have the covering of the Holy Spirit like we have today. So when we read these stories, we should be able to give greater testimonies of faith. Why we're not yet there is because we have not yet come to a proper revelation of the understanding of scripture. Because Christ himself said, there was not a man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And guess what? You are in the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of God more than Abraham was from an anatomy standpoint. You're in the kingdom of God more than Isaac was from an anatomy standpoint. We say anatomy standpoint, what anatomy? That anatomy of having the covering of the divine nature, that anatomy of being born again by water and spirit. You're supposed to have a greater consciousness of Christ than Abraham had. You have more understanding of the plan of God than he does. You have a greater presence of the Holy Spirit in you than he does. Yet we are struggling to walk at the level of faith that he does. And I contend that that's because we don't understand Genesis 3.15 quite as we ought. And we're not dependent upon God quite as we ought. But there's this section of us that wants to be a religious Christian. Because the religious Christian is easier than admitting I'm not submitted in every area. There are areas I'm not submitted. 
There are areas I'm not broken. There's areas that I have not allowed myself to walk in the complete brokenness of God. And I'm there with you. Praise God. I'm right there with you. Right there. And that's why we're here. Because a great gathering of the remnant is taking place right now to reach a level of faith where we flow with the anointing of the Lion of Judah. And that's the only voice we listen to. That's the only voice we submit to. And we walk in this level of brokenness that is reminiscent of a patriarch. And then some. Praise God. So while I was going on there, I noticed that there were a bunch of questions. So um, um, let's jump in. I missed uh, there was a, this. Okay, here it is. Uh, um, here, okay. Did Adam pass the info down to Eve? For she was called woman until the fall. After the fall, Adam then named her Eve. Um, which info are we talking about? Are we saying did she? T she knew about not eating the fruit. Now, there, now listen. There are there are a lot of um, assumptions made about the Genesis story. Um, the, the the most orthodox assumption is that God told Adam not to eat the fruit, and Adam told Eve what God said, so that God didn't speak directly to Eve. Now, there's no scriptures that tell that for absolute point of from the absolute point of view. Okay. There's no, there's no um, by the way, if you if those of you auditing, um, if you email that email address there and just say enroll me, your email address will be added to the distribution list and you'll be automatically enrolled. The school is a, has rolling enrollment, so you can enroll at any time. And we'll catch you up with the previous lessons through recordings that we have on YouTube. And different, uh, we'll make a plan for you to catch up and you'll be able to enter the school at any time. So the thing is that the scripture does not specifically say. But it also doesn't say that Eve doubted that God said it. What? Because Satan never said God didn't say it. What he said was that God was deceiving them. So. Some people take, because, you know, and where they get this from is that the Apostle Paul said that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. So you say, well, how could Eve be deceived and Adam not be deceived if they both heard at the same time? So some theologians contest that Adam was told not to eat the fruit, right? And Eve was told it by Adam. So Eve didn't hear it directly from the mouth of God. And that is the prevailing, that's the prevailing opinion. But if you read the account the account does not specifically specify. So I tend to agree with the prevailing opinion because it seems to fit. But this is one of them things where we're going to have to ask Jesus when we see him. So I'm sure there's some people that would argue otherwise that maybe that was not the case, that maybe, you know, there's another reason for it. Um, there's a lot of contention and there's a lot of tension and contention over the interpretation of the whole Genesis 1, 2, 3 uh, chapters, especially now in this realm that we live in now where everyone is challenging um, um, the whole marital arrangement 
and trying to imply that the marital arrangement has some other dynamic other than the dynamic that seems to be the prevailing dynamic in scripture. And so now everybody's trying to reinterpret Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I'm not going to get caught up in that because I'm okay with the attention because it's not a salvation issue for me. Um, it may be a salvation for somebody else, you know, but it's not a salvation issue for me. Um, but yeah, Eve is clearly in scripture says somehow she was deceived. And the prevailing teaching is that the reason why is because she heard it from Adam. She didn't hear it from God. And she believed that Satan had value to say what he was saying. Whereas Adam knew he had no value to say what he said, which implies, first thing you got to understand, Adam was in the garden first. There was a time span where there was just Adam. Remember, he named the animals first before Eve was created. So God brought on the animals to name them. Okay. So there was a season Adam was in the garden before Eve. Okay. And so the contention is, and again, this is, you've got to, and so since we're in a school, this is great. And, and listen, uh, the, you, some people who've been to other schools I've taught in are going to laugh and say, oh, don't ask Apostle Kevin a question because he'll tell you from, you ask him how to get down the street, he'll tell you how the road was built, what kind of tar they used, how much cement, how much salt, the number of inches that was in it. So you just said how to get down to the, the, the bodega, man, and this guy. But a lot of times all this feeds into your understanding and helps you develop your own opinion. The, the thing is that... Uh, um. There was a season in which Adam was in the garden before Eve was in the garden. And there is this prevailing belief that God told Adam, don't eat the fruit. When God created Eve, Eve, Adam told Eve, don't eat the fruit, because God said, don't eat the fruit. So since Eve heard it from Adam, the belief is that Eve heard it from Adam. So then when she was confronted by the serpent, she couldn't really weigh it properly because she heard from her husband. My contention is that's immaterial because Satan never challenged the validity of whether God said it. He challenged the validity of whether God was telling the truth. He was basically calling God a liar. Now, what's very interesting is that Satan is a master of telling half-truths. He's very crafty. Satan probably knew they were going to lose the Holy Spirit covering. And he probably knew that they, God would not kill them physically. So what they were going to die with in that physical day was to the covering of the Holy Spirit. So that's a form of spiritual death. But their physical death did not take place in a physical day. It took place in a prophetic day. For they lived more days than that day. So in a from a certain perspective, Satan didn't lie. But from another perspective, he did lie because he's very crafty and he tells half-truths to manifest lies. So Eve was deceived, but the scriptures never outline exactly what the basis of the deception was. Some people will speculate and swear they know, amen, praise God. I'll ask Jesus when I see him. But from my understanding of scripture overall, the primary source of her, her primary source of her deception was that she believed there was validity to the words of Satan. And Adam had a reason not to believe the validity of Satan's words. He knew more. Not to. Was 
the one who wrote the scripture that Adam was not deceived and Eve was deceived. We know that Paul studied on the Gamaliel. So between the revelations he received through the Holy Spirit and also Judaic custom, this is where uh, Paul brought forth this wisdom. And so I, I know I kind of overcovered it, but um, yes. Um, well, let's see, there's some more questions. Well, see, I made her doubt. Right. So the serpent gave her the spirit to doubt. Correct. That's correct. Praise God. Okay. Praise God. Okay. So it does appear that Tremit, Tremit, uh, prophetess Houston feels that she got the right answer. Amen. Uh, does anybody else have any other questions or any other subjects they would like to talk about? All right. Well, I'm going to share one more thing since we don't have any additional questions. I, 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 it scrolls so quickly, so I don't see if there was additional questions. Somebody please alert me to it. But um, I just want to share this thing. You need to understand the difference between personal revelation and absolute biblical facts. So um, in a, a, even with that, just end up struggling with people and there'll be some tension between you and souls who insist that they know something that you're like, well, I don't know how you could completely know that because the scriptures never completely say that. Say, so, well, God gave me a revelation. Yeah, OK. But how many revelations did you get from God that maybe didn't play out the way you said? So, you know, I keep it super real. So some people maybe not like me, but everything that people say to hear from God didn't come from God. Everybody know that? Okay. I can tell you that there's times I thought God told me something and then later I'm like, wait a minute, maybe that wasn't God. <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> right. So know this truth. Every time we see scripture, we need to ask ourselves, what's the absolute thing the scripture is saying? And then what's the potential of what the scripture is saying? So there's personal revelation, right? And then there's absolute doctrine. I've watched a lot of disciples argue over personal revelation. This issue about how Eve was deceived and how Eve was not deceived and why Adam was, all the details of that, people can have their own revelations about it but the scriptures don't really isolate the complete reason. It doesn't say Eve was deceived because Adam was the one that told her not to eat the fruit. And since she heard it from Adam, she could, she thought she could believe the snake. There are other people that say, oh, well, Adam named the animals and he knew the animals couldn't talk. So Eve hearing the animal talk didn't, um, didn't, you know, deceived her. Then the other people say, well, you know, according to the scriptures, Adam was standing right there. So Adam would have been able to say that ain't the snake talking. I mean, so there's a whole lot of stuff that was not explained there. So we, sometimes we have to discern between personal revelation. I try my best to do that. This is my personal revelation. Okay. This is my personal revelation. But this is what the scriptures say. So the scriptures say this, and it gave me this impression. Maybe it'll give you a different impression. Some things we got to wait for Jesus. Praise God. Ernest, did you want to share something? I kind of went long-winded on that. Did you want to share something? Um, yeah, no. That, I, it's funny. When she asked, I went and looked back, looked at the uh, scripture to see um, to see if I could see any account of that. Because I heard the same thing, too. So I was like, well, let me actually see what it says. But you're right. It's, it's basically a, um, uh, 
it's a gray area. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily say. And every time that's in there in the Bible, always question, well, why? Why is it like that? Does the Lord want us to come to him? Um, are there some other teachings out here, maybe in the uh, rabbinic culture, where we can look those things up? Um, <clears throat> or is it insignificant to the point where it's when the Lord told Moses to go write it, just, you know, don't, don't, don't put that in there. Just, just write, just write what I tell you. So I always, those are my, those are my three questions. Um, and it was deep because yeah, the Lord did tell Adam and then he went on to naming the, the animals and all this and all that. And then the Lord said it was good for him not to be alone and all that good stuff. So yeah, I, I think that was deep. Um, there was another question from uh, Tabina. And it says, uh, it says, Apostle, why did God allow Eve to make that poor decision to affect us for eternity? Question. Before we, before Adam, I say we, look at that. I'm on a team. Before Adam ate the fruit, was man, was man supposed to, uh, oh, that's what it was. It was the second tree. If he would have ate of the second tree, man would have not, man would not have died. Um, man would have lived for forever. Um, okay, I, I answered my own question. But yeah, she said, why did God allow you to make that poor decision to affect us for eternity? Um, and I think, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and you can jump right in afterwards. Um, the Lord was, he was being a father, letting us know that you can be deceived, you can be tricked, and your, your, actions have consequences so out of love and i want and, and the last thing he wants us to serve him with our hearts not not be forced to serve him so he wants us to come to him willfully be a cheerful giver uh how can two walk together and unless they agree so all these scriptures he's you know it's a marriage um i don't know if you guys like i said marriage counseling you ever been to marriage counseling they say don't do something unless you both cheerfully agree on it so it's like um, I want you to make these decisions on your own. I want you to be your, I, 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 no matter what, I'm going to get my glory, but I would, I, I want to see, are you going to glorify me on your own? Same thing with Solomon. I'm going to give you this. Cause I say that all the time. I say, man, why you give Solomon all that? He couldn't, ha he couldn't handle it, man. And, and he's like, well, no, he, he, he deserved it. He asked for it. He chose to go wayward. So yeah, she, he let her know that she had her own independent um what's it called her own independent um sovereignty or own independent thought process and she could carry it out and, and and use her actions to go against that and we have to think to ourselves like when we are doing things that we know that are wrong what are we are we asking how does that affect all of eternity but you can go ahead and jump in the possible now there's a lot of meat to that, as you like to say, Tabina, it's kind of a juicy subject. So um, at every level of my growth in God, things don't get more complicated, they get more simple. Explaining it gets more complicated. So I'm going to give you my personal revelation, why God did this, because at the end of the day, God never said why he did it. So we'd have to ask him when we see him. But in my experience, and I had a lot of thoughts about this. Some of them had to do with the judicial righteousness of God. 
it boils down to love. This is the challenge that I faced when I went through my, um, I like to refer to it as the dark night of the soul. Now that term is used sometimes in new age. I'm not new age, so don't get nervous. Okay. But there is such an experience and saints can share about it. It's an experience in which you have to lay down your Isaac. Think about Abraham believing that God was really going to kill his son and thinking that he really was going to have to put his son on an altar and slam and burn him. Imagine the trauma he would go through. But God really wasn't doing that. God was just testing his faith. For us, we have our Isaacs. God, you can have this, 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 this. And some of us, we come to God and we, we're bartering with him. You can have that, but I'm holding on to this. I give you that. I'm going to hold on to this. I give you that. I'm going to hold on to this. When it finally, when, when, you, when I finally get the real revelation, okay, well, you're giving me independent sovereignty, but then you're going to guide me by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm never really thinking on my own. What is the purpose of having independent sovereignty if I'm never going to use it? That was a big struggle I had with God. Why would you give me independent sovereignty? And then you expect everything for me to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Sounds like Satan's argument, right? Be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice he said knowing good and evil, meaning without knowing evil, you really don't know good because you just know what you know and it is what it is. You don't discern it as good and evil. It just is. And I came to the conclusion that God created man primarily as a testimony of his glory, as a finely painted painting of, of his righteousness, a sculpture of the glory of his own nature. And that he did that. I'm sorry, my daughter. Okay, I'm on the call still here, guys. <laughs> my daughter is, is having it out there with their mom. Uh, so God created us, right? God created us out of love. Fellowship, fellowship, that's a cooler day. He loved us. He created us for fellowship and relationship and a testimony of his glory. That's what we were created for. We were not created to operate completely independently. But by the nature of being like him, that would make us more adequate fellowship, right? Because if you fellowship with your pet, that's not the same as when you fellowship with another human being, right? So the sovereignty he gave us, the sovereignty he gave us helped make us fellowship worthy with him. He visited us in the cooler today. Now, all this is the testimony of God's love. Where's the testimony of ours? So I'm going to create this tree that gives you a choice to break company with me. Any woman who's ever chased a man or any man who's ever chased a woman, you come to this place, right? Where after you chase them long enough, you get to that place where you're like, you know what? If this person don't want to be with me, forget it. Because I have done everything I could possibly do. And if they don't want to be with me, they just want to be with me. So God creates us. He creates us for, with this love and this compassion. And his testimony of his love is everything he's done for us. But where's the testimony of our love? 
So he creates this tree and says, you eat this tree in that day, our relationship is dead. Because you've chosen to separate from me. I say, wow, that, I, don't, I still don't get it. Well, an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-being, all-wise, all-comprehending God, what decision could possibly be better than his? Fellowship, love, companionship, connection. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the test of our love for God. That's my personal revelation. I'm not going to argue with anybody. <laughs> I'm not going to go into a theological battle with anybody about it. It was my way of grasping the whole situation. He was demonstrating his love. Where's the demonstration of ours? So I don't know if that completely answered your question, Tabina, but that, that was my revelation on it. It was to proof that we would be obedient and stay in fellowship and loving companionship. Yeah, I think Prophetess Houston was, was, was reiterating the same point. Did you want to add to that, Ernest? Did you, do you have additional? Um, no, that's it. That's you're right. We, 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 we love him because he first loved us. And, um, you know, you can't come to the Lord. You have to be drawn to the Lord by the Lord. So, yeah, there is uh, definitely independent will. And what are you going to do with it? And same, same thing we got now. Uh, it's, it's, and it's funny because so with, <laughs> what, what the enemy was trying to do, he was trying to show her like basically what he did. So some it must have happened in heaven somewhere. He woke up one day and was like, you know, I could just I I could do this. And let me impart my own thoughts and feelings into this. And let me do I can do this. I, I can I can be better than him. Or I know better than basically that's what you're saying. I know better than him. And so the enemy basically got man into that same fallen nature. Where, yeah, he said don't eat it, but I yeah, I I can do I can do this if I want to. What's what's wrong with me doing this? All right, I'm going I'm going to eat. And then the enemy already knew. Well, I know I got struck down. You know I'm down here with y'all. <laughs> I know how bad it is because I've been there. I used to reside there. And then boom, um, yeah, Adam Adam Eve ate, and then Adam ate, and you know you we have to understand. We really I think about. And this is one thing I always think about, and this is another gray area. Adam, he had disappeared for about 800 years. Well, not disappeared. He's on Earth. You think about that time. Think about it. At that time, he was the only man that was ever filled with the Holy Spirit. Him and Eve, they're the only two beings. She being the only woman, him being the only man. How come we don't get more from Adam? I mean, we got a lot. Don't get me wrong. We got the animals. We got, we got a lot. People don't understand that. We have a lot. To this day, we still have a lot. But you would figure there would still be some remnants, even in even Solomon in his fallen state was able to give us things. Um, even David in his wilderness was still, uh, you know, giving us things. So where, 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 where is that? Where, where, where you know, what did it, 
that lets you know if it hurt, if, if there was nothing written, it hurt so much, it hurt him so deeply that for, for 800 years, man, he, he, was, he was just no good. Or his teachings weren't good anymore, or just, yeah, he just, that's, that's a long time to live in a, in a depressed state. I'm just, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, you know, we go, we battle these things, these demons, but that is a long time to live in that state. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. Praise God, and I, I saw some other questions in the in the in the in the chat area there. So, um, okay, so one thing Ernest was saying is that why Adam lived only nine hundred. Yes, yes, it's a it's a general theological belief. I say general theological belief because the the Word of God doesn't speak explicitly, but there are a lot of semi smoking guns. Here's the semi smoking gun one. Its Bible says that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to God. So the term has been given prophetic day. Okay. Because to God, a day is like a thousand years. There's something significant about a thousand years to classify as a day. When we get to heaven, we can ask God about it. He can explain it to us. But what he, what he said basically was that Adam would die within that day. So it's theological general belief that no man has lived past 999 years. That the maximum number of years that a human being can live without violating God's covenant prophecy to Adam is 999 years. So if you notice, there's a lot of guys that get close, but nobody lives a complete prophetic day. So when Adam died spiritually, he died spiritually that biological day, okay? But then he died physically within the prophetic day, okay? By the way, Satan has great odds with all of this, and this is one of the things he challenges God about, is that his righteousness is not righteous. So that's this is when you when Satan is called a great accuser, he lays these accusations to everyone, including God. He even accuses God of being unjust. So in his mind, he's the only one that's just. I say that to you because saints, sometimes when we get into a situation, we believe we're the only one that's just and the whole world's against us and we're the only one that know and we're the only one to, that's a scary place to be okay because that's that's one of the things that is satan's big one of his big problems is that he thinks he's the only one that understands justice um he thinks he understands it even above god so yes that that is that is the general belief that adam was not going to make it to a thousand years he wouldn't exceed that he lived 900 some odd years and then he passed um any other questions, Saints? And I welcome my son, Thais Brady, jumped on. Praise God. Welcome. Um, it's, it's always going to be on the recording. So, son, you can always watch it after the fact, or you can watch it on the YouTube. It'll be there. Praise the Lord. Any other questions, Saints? Otherwise, we'll close out in prayer. Let's see. Oh, we need prayer. Okay. Amen. Amen. Well, we're not going to mention that because we're, we're alive. We're going to just, we're going to just pray. We'll include all of that. Um, oh yes. Apostle. Yes. Cain and Abel. Okay. No, no. Tabina has a question about Cain and Abel. Um, was that a question you were asking about Cain and Abel, Tabina? Or were you just commenting? 
these guys, they're going, they're going, man, it, the, the comments is powerful. <laughs> For those of you watching on YouTube, if you go to the Facebook page, you can see the comments. So if you feel like you're being left out because you're not able to see the comments. Um, so the Cain and Abel story. So again, another issue of prophetic, I mean, excuse me, another issue of personal revelation versus what the word says. The word says that Cain did not give an acceptable offering and Abel gave an acceptable offering. Now, there are two schools of dominating thought in these areas, two schools. One school is it says that Cain gave of some of the field. Okay. And it says that Abel gave of the choice of his herd. So the one school is Cain's offering was unacceptable because it wasn't a blood offering. And that's probably the most dominant one. Without the spilling of blood, there is no atoning for sin. But you can't ignore, excuse me, the other point. And that is that it made a point of notice, note, noting that Cain worked the field. So we can't ignore that. And we can't ignore the fact that it also said that he gave up some of the crop, not the first harvest. So if you put them together, he made two mistakes. If you separate him, he made one or the other mistake. You'll have to ask the Lord when you see him. But the two mistakes is, one, he didn't give up the first cut. God gets off the top. That's respect. And it was not a blood offering. There can be until atoning for sin without blood. I am not going to argue either one because as an apostle, if I say I believe one over the other, people are going to lean in the direction. So I'm not. I'm going to say the Bible does not specifically say it just says God looked favorably on Abel's offering. He did not look favorably on Cain's offering. And it does say that he only gave of some of the herds. I mean, some of the of the of the field. And so that would have been a wrong right off the bat. Also, we must also note one other point I'll throw in there. Up until the reading of that scripture, blood atonement was not documented in scripture as a requirement. See I'm saying? So blood atonement was a wisdom that may have existed, but it's not part of the biblical historical record. So I'm not saying that the people say, oh, you didn't give a blood offering, and that's why, that they're wrong, because I can't say that. But I can't say that the ones that say, no, we didn't give up the first fruits, that was the problem. I can't say they're wrong either, because you are supposed to give the first fruits of the harvest, and you do need a blood sacrifice to atone for sin. So hopefully, uh, Tabina, that answers your question. Ernest, did you want to share on that one? Sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I thought I thought you wanted to say it. Praise God. And then we have some comments in here. We'll share those with the, the saints as well. And then saints, um, we're going to close after this. Okay. okay. We're going to put that in the prayer, but we're not going to post that out there. Okay. Um, what happened? Yes. And so uh, Hedy Dumas said, first fruits of the harvest is important. Right. So blood or no blood, he didn't give of the first fruit. So that would have been an error in and of itself. So even if 
it, it wasn't an issue of blood. Even if it wasn't an issue of blood, it was an issue. And then prophetess Houston said, Cain did part of what Adam was to do. Abel was doing part of what Adam was to do. So it was a heart issue. It wasn't given from his heart genuinely. Yeah, his heart posture was wrong. And it shows because he didn't give the first fruits. See, the whole point of the giving, the whole point of the law, the whole point of the Mosaic law had nothing to do with rules. If God was so rules-based, he wouldn't have gave Adam and Eve the rule, don't eat the fruit. That's the only rule they had is don't eat of this one tree and the whole plant. So the idea that God is this legalistic, overwhelming, overbearing, rule-driven person, it just has no foundation. He created Adam and Eve. He gave them the whole planet and said, don't eat off of one tree. I mean, you can't get no more reasonable than that. But after man sinned, God then used rules to teach man the nature of the fall and to expose the sinful nature. The whole key was to expose the nature apart from God, not to get caught up into who can pride themselves over the ability to obey rules. Remember, this was a love issue. From the very beginning, it was a love issue. God didn't reject man. Man rejected God. And God ensued, followed his nature. But God did not reject man. Man rejected God. If I'm living in your house and I'm tearing up your whole place, you don't make me pay no rent. You don't make me pay no lights. You don't make me pay no gas. You don't make me pay no cable. And I'm tearing up your place. And then you throw me out. And I walk down the street and I see Ernest. I say, Ernest, Prophetess Houston threw me out. He'd be like, Prophet Houston didn't throw you out. You threw yourself out. You broke her TV. You tore up a... So God didn't reject man. Man rejected God. You see, and in the scope of this revelation, we can start to stop allowing the world to spin the story. You serve this angry, dictatorial, dominating, overbearing God. No, we don't. We serve a loving, compassionate, gracious, peaceful, Just, righteous God. And so this, this whole situation with Cain and Abel starts from the heart condition. His heart was off, and the offness of his heart resulted in what he gave. What he gave was the byproduct of his heart. So I think that was a very powerful, that was a very powerful question. Um, praise God. Um, praise God, praise God. So um, we're gonna close in prayer now. Um, and um, I noticed that there was a concern inside the chat, which I didn't put that concern up on the screen because it wasn't necessary, but we're definitely going to include that in our closing prayers. Amen.
Um, so let's just bow our head in prayer. Um, Ernest, did you want to share anything before we close in prayer? Sorry. Uh, no, no, you pretty much covered it. We didn't, uh, God didn't reject us. We rejected him. All right, we'll end with that. Praise the Lord. Father God, we just pray, my God. We pray, Father God, for evangelists, my Lord. We pray for her family, my God. We pray for a blessing upon her child, her daughter, my Lord. We pray, Father God, against every attack of the enemy. I remember, Father God, even as a child myself, Lord, that the enemy used to attack me and nobody knew anything about it. Nobody knew to protect me. Nobody knew to cover me. It was only later on in my life after I became a Christian that I realized I had a ministering demon, even as a little boy. Satan seems to know no boundaries in the things that he would do. I remember it distinctly. He would, he would tread up, tell me to do things. It was, it was disgraceful, the things that he would challenge me to do and the things that he would encourage me to do. And my family really didn't know anything about it. They, to this day, they don't know anything about it because I never told them about it. But yeah, I had a ministering demon as a little boy. So I know what it means as a child to struggle with supernatural spirits. It's bad enough that we lack certain maturity in our natural being, but then to have supernatural beings come and torment us, it just is a disgrace, my Lord. And I just pray, my God, that you help us in this time of need, Lord, that you cover, my Lord, her daughter, my God, that you cover, my God, each and every one of the souls on this call and those that are struggling, Lord, with different ministering spirits or demonic attacks or attacks to their physical health or their humanity, attacks to their person, Lord. I pray against every demonic force right now in the name of Christ Yeshua. I pray for your glory and your majesty to shine in our house right now in Jesus' name, that your power, that your glory, that your grace, that your strength, that your almighty power flow in her life right now in the name of Christ Yeshua and that the testimony of your glory overshadow her right now. My God, I pray that you silence the demonic principalities and that you rebuke the demonic spirits, my God, and that you challenge, my God, their judicial position, my God. If they've claimed any object, if they've claimed any authority, I ask that you cancel it out right now in the name of Jesus Christ, you said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto the Lord. So we pray under that authority as, as, as one walking under his crown, Lord. He wears the crown, but we wear the coronet. And we pray, Father God, in our position under him, Lord, that you rebuke any ministering spirits, that you rebuke any demonic principalities, that you shut down every evil spirit, right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we praying, Lord, and we're submitting ourselves to you and we're praying in agreement and we're standing in expectancy, Lord, standing in expectancy for you to move in this situation. Move in this situation, Lord. May your glory move in this situation right now. In your power, may you move in this situation right now. I ask you, Lord, to step in and intervene for your own namesake and for your own glory. 
And I pray for all the saints that are on the line, my God, that you continue to bless them, Lord, continue to feed them by your spirit. Take all the human element out of the way, Lord, and feed them by your spirit and by your glory. Shall they be risen up? And I pray under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that it be so, that their minds be enriched, that their hearts be enriched, that their souls be enriched, that their inner emotional nature be enriched, that the psychology of their understanding be enriched, that the power of the glory be enriched inside of each and every one of them, that they may know that they're going to be fruitful, that they may know that they're going to be raised up in glory, that they may know that they're going to become powerful, that they may know that you are going to bear much fruit out of them. Fill their womb in the spirit, my God, and may they birth a great nation of souls, Lord. For the gates of hell cannot override the kingdom of God. Though we may perish, the kingdom must go on. It was prophesied. It was prophesied by the Lord himself that the gates of hell should not overrun his kingdom. And so we pray for fruitfulness inside every single soul. I pray against the spirit of insecurity. I pray against the spirit of doubt. I pray against the spirit of worry. I pray against the spirit of self-condemnation. I pray against the spirit of shame, guilt, and fear. I pray against the spirit of less than. I pray against all of those movements, Lord. Under the divine nature of the power of the Holy Spirit, we come before you, my God. And if by any means Satan is challenging the justness of anything we claim, we ask you to purge us of whatever iniquity, known and unknown, seen and unseen. Let us pray, my Lord, in the spirit with groans and moans to say the things we didn't even know to say, but the spirit knew. Wherever we have grieved you in hidden places, grieved you in inner thoughts, grieved you in inner position, wherever we have opposed you under the divine nature of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you expose it right now and that we can release it right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, and I stand here in prayer and I'm committed, Father, that we stay in the moment of consecration in expectancy. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. We receive. My God, we receive. My God, we receive. I pray for our faith, my God, that it might give way. That we not look at the waves, but that we keep our eyes on Jesus. That we might walk on water in the spirit realm. May your grace prevail. May your grace prevail. Spirit of condemnation, I rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus. May your grace prevail. May your grace prevail. Spirit of self-condemnation, I rebuke you right now. Spirit of insecurity, I rebuke you right now. Spirit of timidity, I rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of doubt, I rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Have your way over this body, my God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Saints, though we may part in the natural, we may not part in the spiritual. Have a good night. We're going to end the live at this point.